in, in any part of the world, except for the United States as domestic. So I uh, would say in that, uh, the next screen. Uh, there's some false, that's good, thank you. There's been some false rumors floating around about some of the things that, uh, um, about an end registry for, for people. Um, one of the biggest ones is aircraft must be on U.S. soil to export. Um, it's like it says, the FAA has addressed the issue of being able to issue export C of A's uh, and C of A's on foreign soil by appointing international uh, DARs to be able to travel to countries where the aircraft are located to issue the request. It's really kind of hard to bring a R44 into the United States from 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 uh, Turkey just to put a certificate of airworthiness on it. I go, I go there and do it. Um, again, we have uh, 737s in Montpellier that are, that are on French registry and being put on a C of A and or uh, up to, up to, uh, to England to do it, do a, a, out of Lasham to do an ex export, to do an export C of A to, uh, to England. Uh, second one is a non-U.S. citizens cannot own a U.S. registered aircraft under Part 47. Uh, that's that's actually a false because it legally entrusts in accordance with the FAR 147A. I rather give you the FAR to it than say, say it off in my head because I, I always try to give you the the full references when I when I ever I uh, give information this way. Um, a full, number three is a full FAA approved maintenance program is required for special flight permit. That's false. I do, uh, I can get you an approved inspection program for the flight. So it's an, it, it, we don't have to prove how the aircraft's being maintained for its life. We're only trying, we're only maintaining the aircraft for that flight so that we can get, we can get your aircraft moved. And it's, it's a, a much less intense program. It's, it, there's still some work to do it, but it's a, a lot easier to get that done than, than a full maintenance program. Uh, FAA authorizes DART to issue Descott SFP. We just, that happened out about a month ago. Um, we got a memorandum memo of deviation for aircraft out of annual inspection that utilize an annual inspection um, program. Uh, general aviation aircraft are, are, are probably one of the better an, uh, examples that, of, of an aircraft that uses uh, uh, an annual inspection program, manufactures uh, uh, annual inspection program. And so during, because of COVID, a lot of aircraft have, uh, they, nobody's been moving, been able to move aircraft and fly them to, to their maintenance base. So within reason of being out of annual inspection, we can issue so that they can move, move it to their, to their uh, uh, maintenance base. Um, mm -hmm. So that was, the, that was the uh, true part. Um, yeah. Now, I have to work with, I've been successfully working with my advisor to relocate so? some larger aircraft uh, 
on a case by case basis. We, no, probably we, not. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, just a, if you have, uh, if you're at, you, you, you could, could any of the participants uh, mute their mics if they're not participating, please? Thank you. Go ahead, Mike. So I, by a case by case basis, I've taken on some aircraft and, and uh, we've, we've developed so that they can be moved on, on without having to go see the aircraft. Um, any, any questions on that? Yeah, I mean, is this fairly detailed? If anybody wants to jump in with a question from Mike on those specific areas, I, I, I have no issue with that. Okay. Um, if no questions, let's right. go to the next, next slide. Right. Okay, we'll do. Second now. There we go. You see that? Yes. Why you don't need a chemo in a post-COVID-19 world? A chemo is not required under FAA registration. Uh, it's uh, up to the owner, operator, develop, and have approved by the FAA maintenance program for transport category aircraft. There is no requirement to have a third-party track and monitor the maintenance of your aircraft. Um, most corporate and general aviation aircraft already have a manufacturer's approved program that the owner operator can follow without a third party monitoring. Uh, it's, it's really up to the owner operator of the aircraft to maintain their aircraft. And, and, they, and they prove to the, to the uh, air authority that they're doing that um, by different methods. To actually have to go out to a third party, that's not, the FAA doesn't want, doesn't want or need that. It's just not, not there, you don't need it. So the, it's never been a chemo is never been required by the FAA. It's not it's not even recognized by the FAA. So under under a, a, a FAA registration, you have less to. Uh, I don't know how to say that. Um, less to do. It's not less to do. Is you you still got to maintain your aircraft, but you don't have to now go prove it to a third party who may or may not have your best interest in 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 uh, in heart. Okay, uh, next slide. Yep. You got it. Okay, Trent. Transitioning from the Brazilian to end registering, things to watch out for. Big thing, do not deregister de the aircraft uh, prior to obtaining an export CFA from the Brazilian Air Authority. Pretty much that's the same statement for anywhere. Do not, on any country, get your export CFA before deregistration. Once it's deregistered, they no longer can do anything with the aircraft. Just as as as, as in it, if it's unregistered, if you deregister it, there's not you can't do anything. It, it, it's no longer the uh, responsibility of the of the of the of that country. Um, so it's it's the same rule, like I said, from Brazil, uh, China, uh, Turkey, uh, Spain, it, uh, Italy. You you want you want to get that export CFA first before you deregister. 
Now, this is specifically for Brazilian. Um, if you ever have questions, it's in the bilateral agreements for each country. Uh, I can help you if you really need to find it, but the, the bilateral agreements are on the FAA website. So number two, in accordance with bilateral agreement, the below must be accomplished for Brazil. Each aircraft imported to the US or Brazil with the EA airworthiness approval will have an export certificate of airworthiness containing information equivalent to the filing statement. The insert aircraft model covered by the certificate conforms to the type design approved under the type certificate number. And we have to put the type certificate number revision level and date. It is found for condition and safe operation. And, and the, any other clarifying language is specified in the type certificate data sheet. So when I exported some 737s, that is the statement I put in there. Um, I, and then I had, <clears throat> I, uh, one of the 737s had some special requirements and I put that also in the, in the export C of A. As, but I had to have a, an acceptance letter from the Brazilians that they would accept the aircraft without the HF antenna, uh, the HF system installed. They, so, but coming to the United States, it doesn't need the HF, but you wouldn't, that's the statement. And that's straight from, that's why it's 7.2.2. That is from the bilateral agreement. Um, easy to follow once you find the information. Uh, ensure the aircraft can be placed on U.S. registry prior to deregistration. I, as a DIR, cannot um, accomplish any certification action on a non-U.S. registered aircraft. What I mean is, I can, I'm going to, I can look at all of the documentation on the aircraft prior, but I can't do anything because there's no certificate. Uh, there is no registration number to to uh, register the uh, the uh, the work I've done against the aircraft. Uh, four, consult with a trust company that can help you registration the aircraft. Uh, you 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 really do want to know. Uh, you, you really want to know that you can get it registered prior to deregistration from the aircraft because if you don't, you have now an orphan aircraft. An orphan aircraft is not going to help anybody out there because literally it's going to be stuck on the ramp. It's not. Uh, it's it's not nobody can move it at, at that point they've they've deregistered it and you can't get it registered so please make sure that you have that accomplished prior that you know that you can be on registry um tobias cleatman of tbs T, tvpx uh it is dot com is extremely knowledgeable in the registration of the aircraft i've i've i work with uh, tobias uh it's it's uh, it's a great relationship he uh he goes out all out of his way to make sure that everybody's satisfied and 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 it, it we, we move forward I don't want to hang up aircraft aircraft don't make money when they're sitting on the ground for nobody uh, consult with an engineering service company that has done such movements in the past. I re recommend Marcella because uh, I've worked with them uh, in India and have run various transactions. Um, very knowledgeable, knows knows what programs should be in place, how how the aircraft should be inspected, what what what's going to be required in order to satisfy the the uh, uh, the um, 
to be able to move the aircraft, what inspections need to be done, um, what what uh, components need to be uh, uh, light, um, not not only life but um, whether you need life rafts on the aircraft when you're moving it and and that uh, real knowledgeable. I would I would highly recommend having a, a an engineering company like like Marsalis or, or others, but um, to to uh, do your aircraft. Uh, next slide. Or is that it? Oh, okay. So, any questions? Mike, uh, thanks very much for that. Uh, what we'll do is we'll leave the questions at the end. There is a facility there on the uh, Zoom to, to put in questions if you want to do that. I have a couple of questions from one of the lessors for Mike, which we'll leave to the end as well. Uh, but uh, I think what we do is we move on to, to Brian. Um, and Brian, if you're okay to unmute and share your screen, it'd be great. Sure, yeah, I'll just do that now. Hold on, I have to find the screen now. Oh, here we go. Okay, have you got it? You've got it, yes, indeed, yeah. We Good see the first, the first page there, fantastic. Okay, great. Maybe a quick intro, Alan. I'm not sure if everybody knows me. Um, I used to be the Director for Airworthiness with the Irish Aviation Authority for over 20 years. Um, I used to steer all the Article 83 biz agreements and all that kind of stuff and all the leasing, chewing and throwing of aircraft. And in the last four years or so, I was um, in the strategic role as well, uh, looking after the state safety program and uh, all, the, all that sort of stuff at the high level. But what I'm gonna do is really talk about three issues today, which I'm uh, either previously involved in or currently involved in. Um, and you can see them there about Article 83. Um, uh, I'm involved with the Cayman Islands as well. And, 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 and thirdly, how to get more suitable regulations in the future. I'm thinking about the European context there for ourselves. Oh, okay, how do I do that? Oh, I see. Sorry, guys, I just uh, realized I need a different button here. Okay, just a little bit of talk about Article 83. Um, if we go back to the beginning, uh, and I'm thinking about going back to uh, the 1980s, I suppose, when GPA started up and uh, Air Tara was there. I don't know whether some of you remember Air Tara. Um, but um, at that stage, um, Air Tara used to be the operating wing of GPA, and they'd actually operate the aircraft um, for um, for the lessees, and and that was fine up until the end of the 1980s, when uh, the AOC actually uh, came into being legally uh, through ICAO, and that be, that made um, made uh, Air Tower impossible to continue because it it basically was a flagless airline. Um, so um, there was a bit of a pause there, and and we had a bit of a a gap where we 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 filled in uh, dry lease facilities on the Irish Register, for instance. Uh, using letters and all sorts of other means. But then in the mid-1990s, um, we uh, established uh, Article 83 was uh, sufficiently ratified in, in ICAO, uh, and we started to, to use it um, quite extensively. And one of the reasons that we used it initially was because the lessors uh, were, um, were not as confident in the, in, the, in the jurisdiction of the operator uh, to register the aircraft, and they wanted a, a third-party register to allow them to recover the aircraft. Now, over time, um, and with the improvement in the economic outlook, um, they became more confident. And also, we had the introduction of the Cape Town Convention, which provided um, 
uh, much better legal facilities to recover uh, the aircraft in the event of a default or a collapse of the airline. Um, so that was fine. Uh, just a word there, um, not all the jurisdictions have reliably uh, um, uh, implemented the Cape Town Convention and uh, the, 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 um, the UNIDWA uh, uh, is, is, is chasing those people uh, at a very high level through a KO to make sure that they do, but, but it, it's, it's something that we will have to watch in the future. But things have changed now, obviously, due to uh, COVID-19, and that's going to change the risk profiling again. So, you know, we're moving from a situation where we used to be very happy with the economic outlook uh, and the financial stability of, um, of the countries and of the airlines that people were leasing aircraft into. But that's all changed now with COVID. So we don't really know what's going to happen. Um, in addition to that, the investment of government in airlines may make re recoveries more problematic because the government itself will have a, a vested interest in in. in, in in the financial uh, uh, outlook of the airline. So it, it's on, it, I don't know what effect that's gonna have. Um, I, I'm just observing that it could have an effect. Uh, and then of course we have um, in Europe, we have the EASA basic regulation, which now covers uh, the use of Article 83 bis. And that was the, the change in the last basic regulation. So it actually covers the implementation of Article 83 bis by European countries. Um, and it, you know, let's be honest, it's going to make it uh, much more cumbersome because all he has rules are, you know, they tend to be cumbersome and they tend to be difficult to use. And the other problem that we have is that Iaza really doesn't understand the whole leasing business. In fact, one of the things that we successfully did over the many, many years was to keep um, the whole leasing uh, activity out of the purview of both the JAA uh, and, and, in fact, um, IASA, but unfortunately they finally discovered it. Um, so now they want to write rules to govern it. So um, we also have to be careful that, you know, rules written in Europe are written from a European perspective with European assumptions, uh, which may or may not um, match the rest of the world, uh, where you may have to work in South America or Southeast Asia or wherever you have to go. So, you know, we have to bear that in mind in terms of the future use of Article 83 by European states. However, um, the, other, the other feature that uh, emerges with the new basic regulation, new as a basic regulation, is that transfers between EU member states should become easier. So that should mean as they develop the rules, you could easily put the aircraft on one European register and have it operated um, in the jurisdiction uh, of, another aircraft, of another member state. So you know, it could be registered in, say, Austria, I guess, and, and operated in Italy. Um, so those sort of uh, transfer arrangements will become easier. Um, I haven't seen the rules yet and I haven't seen them on the books yet. Um, third parties, uh, in other words, non-EU registers, it, it, they, will, they, will they will continue to have more flexibility and, and in fact, may become uh, a, a much more useful tool when you're operating um, with uh, lessees uh, outside the EU. Uh, and and they, they, they become much more useful because they won't be constrained by um, the, the, the requirements uh, developed by EASA. And also they will be able to use the full flexibilities available under ICAO, which is something that is very difficult to use um, uh, when you are a part of the EASA environment. Um, and the other thing about, uh, as, it's, as I've covered before is, you know, and I'll cover in the last point um, during the presentation is, is you know, <sighs> What is EASA going to do in terms of the development of regulation um, for uh, 
for leasing and for um, operation of EU registers, uh, EU registered aircraft uh, abroad. So we'll have a look at that in, 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 in the last section. Now, let me see if I can get this to work. Okay, good. Um, the second item I was going to cover was um, uh, COVID-19 operations with the Cayman Islands Register. By operations, I mean transfers and transiting aircraft. Um, I had a look at the system uh, just there yesterday, and I see there's 45 large transport aircraft uh, in transition, and the usual culprits are there, everything from 737s and 320s all the way up to 330s, 787s, and down to ERJ 190s. So there's quite a lot of aircraft transiting through um, the register at the moment. Um, they're heavily using uh, their custom digital portal, and they have um, an ability to accept digital applications and issue digital certificates. So you won't be, you don't need to transfer documents all over the world and courier your flight permits or your export C of A or your, your standard C of A um, uh, using, using paper systems and DHL and all that kind of stuff. So it's pretty useful from that point of view. They've been um, using email and phone and video as much as they can. They have used uh, the CAMO privileges of their approved CAMOs extensively to eliminate, uh, in most cases, the need for an inspector to go see an aircraft. And that's been, uh, that's been a big thing for them. Uh, and they're looking at the possibility of being able to uh, accept um, uh, a CAMO report uh, as the um, recommendation to their DG uh, to issue uh, a C of A, which would mean that you wouldn't need to have an inspector at all. Um, so they're working on that, uh, and, and we just have to wait and see what they can do. Um, they're very keen on, on not holding up the operation, and, and it's been quite easy to do at the moment, mostly because the transfers are incomplete insofar as uh, the aircraft are moving onto the register, in other words, off the uh, lessees register and onto the transition register, uh, and they haven't actually had to issue um, uh, standard C of A's um, uh, for anything uh, to any great extent yet, because most of the aircraft are just in, 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 in transit. Um, but as I said, they are working on uh, removing bottlenecks um, so that they don't have to um, uh, cover everything with their own inspectors. So delegation to the camels uh, is something that they're really uh, trying to pursue and, and, and make maximum use of the uh, privileges that the camels actually have. Uh, that's something that we've been trying to do in Europe for quite some time, but we found it extremely difficult because, to be honest with you, um, the authorities want to redo what the CAMO does. And I've, I've dealt with that myself over many, many years, uh, and it's a very difficult topic uh, to get through. Um, also, they've found that they can use uh, the ICAO standards to um, accept local uh, approvals, and that was always a possibility under Annex 1. Uh, you could always accept uh, licensing and uh, maintenance approvals of ICAO uh, properly licensed personnel and organizations. So they're continuing to use that and that's working well. And they can also do the same for flight crew licensing. So that's, that's, that's working quite well. Um, they're gradually increasing the number of their CAMO partners. And, uh, you know, for, for me, um, coming from my own background, I know they, they always talk about CAMO partners. Uh, they don't talk about approved companies. Uh, they talk about camel partners. So that gives you a flavor of their attitude. There are more coming. Um, uh, there's at least another one to be added there from Ireland, and there's others uh, uh, further abroad. Um, here's a slide giving you some information on, on where to get more info, if you like. Uh, they have a website. Um, um, they have an, an entry on the uh, Air Safety Support International 
site. There's a nice podcast there at the end of the um, thing they're showing. Uh, it, it's an interview with their director general explaining how they're handling um, the difficulties in getting people around the world to look at aircraft and, and working around that and making sure that they don't create any bottlenecks by having people running around after aircraft that they don't need to or where there's a camera or some other trusted entity uh, that can be relied on. So they're working away on that and that's worth a little bit of a listen. I've included my own uh, email account there if you need to contact me. I'm the, I'm the local contact for um, uh, Cayman here in Ireland. So um, anything that you want to know, just give me a shout or, 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 or reach out and I'll be very happy to talk to you. Um, now, we mentioned earlier about um, uh, the development of regulations on the uh, EASA basic regulation affecting, um, for instance, um, the use of Article 83 BIS, but also it could uh, just simply include uh, importing and exporting aircraft or transitioning aircraft through the EASA system. And perhaps, you know, one of the topics, and I, I note, I note um, that it was mentioned earlier in the other presentation, the whole idea of whether or not you need a camo for an aircraft sitting on the ground for a year. I've always had some views on that, which I won't share now, but let's just say that they're not mainstream. Um, so, you know, when we're dealing with IASA as an industry, and particularly the leasing industry, which is, which is a little bit, well, not just a little bit, quite new to IASA, you need to be aware of the rulemaking program. Now, the problem with the rulemaking program is that the entries in the program uh, don't look particularly interesting or relevant, and you have to dig in quite a bit to find out whether there's something that's going to affect you. So it needs a bit of effort um, and maybe a bit of networking as well with people in the MRO side or on the ops side uh, will help uh, people to actually identify possible changes in the rulemaking program that um, need attention and need influence from uh, from the, 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 the aircraft leasing point of view. Um, if you want to achieve anything with EASA, you really have to get the Commission on side. Now, the Commission um, was absolutely flabbergasted when it learned the sheer size of the leasing industry in Europe. They just, they, they were unaware of it. Uh, I remember back in the, about 2010, when I had to go into the European Commission to stop um, a particular move by a certain country to limit or actually um, reduce or stop, in fact, um, the use of Article 83 by Ireland. And they were unaware of the sheer size of the industry and its value, um, not just to Ireland, but, but to, to, to every manufacturer in Europe and, and, and to all their suppliers. So um, it's really important that if you identify something that um, is likely to make a difference, you need to pass it right up the line to your CEOs. And they actually have considerable status with the European Commission. And the um, the Aircraft Leasing Association, um, you know, does have a, an easy access to the European Commission. So that's where you start. If something is looking, if, if either you want something to happen or you're looking at something that may be creating a problem, you go to the EU Commission first and you establish a relationship. You can then go to EASA and have some effect. If you don't get the Commission on board, EASA will just uh, frame the problem in a way uh, that doesn't um, uh, help you, and then they will give that answer to the European Commission before you can get your story in, and you will have to work quite uphill if you don't, um, if you if you allow that to happen. Um, so you'll have a job of work trying to trying to convince the, the Commission. Uh, and I'd like to say, you know, the European Commission is extremely accessible. Uh, you wouldn't believe how accessible it is, and they meet everybody. So, um, you know, please don't. Um, uh, don't um, uh, fail to uh, raise things up through your own company and get your CEOs um, to, um, to make the contact because the commission wants to hear about it. 
Um, that I can tell you for absolutely truth, and I've worked with them for many, many years. Um, if you are involved in, 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 in developing uh, regulations to the working groups, and I really recommend that you do if you see anything that might impact your, your activity, or if you want to introduce a new feature, and I think there are a number of new features that could be introduced, you know, go on the working groups, but make sure that your that that uh, representative knows what outcomes that you want. Because if, the, the, the natural tendency in these groups is to disappear into the detail. And what happens is, the actual outcome might be fine from a pure technical point of view, but it may be impossible to actually use, and it may be over cumbersome for the actual purpose that it was intended at the high level. So you really need to make sure that you properly brief your man going in, and he needs to be quite a strong individual to be able to hold his ground and to hold his ideas um, straight so that he can get the, 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 um, the result that you want. And remember that these working groups are made up of some industry representatives, some, um, uh, um, what do you call them? Um, uh, what am I, I'm looking for the right word. Um, some of the, the social partners. So the, you'll find that the, the, the industry uh, trade representatives will be there too, in some form. They may not be obvious, but they'll be there. Uh, and they all have their own vested interests about what they want to happen what they, and what they don't want to happen. So it's a complex issue. Um, the other thing to remember, and I think I've said this uh, throughout well, uh, my, my little talk here, at the EU Commission and EASA have no background in the leasing business, neither do their staff, and their worldview doesn't really uh, account for leasing. They still think that airlines own aircraft. I mean, it, it took them ages to realize that they didn't own the aircraft. Um, and they're quite um, uh, uh, wary of uh, EU registered aircraft operating uh, on on third country AOCs. By the way, third country to uh, IASA, the commission means anybody not European. Um, so, you know, um, there's a lot of work for the industry to do generally on it. Um, and really, the, the, the system really should be that if you guys identify things that are wrong with the regulations, you need to escalate them up through your organizations um, so that they can then get influenced at the top level with um, 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 the European Commission, and then you can go and, and, and have a go at the detail um, uh, with, 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 with the ASA. So I think that's it. Um, how do I turn this off now? Yeah. Brian, thank you very much for that. It was very interesting uh, and for me, educational, amongst other things, um, and uh, food for thought for a lot of the aircraft lessors that are on the call today. And thanks for, for, for that great insight. Um, so yeah, we'll just go to the Q&As. Um, there's a couple that have come in there for Mike uh, on the FAA side. Mike, I'm not sure if you can see those or not, but um, I'll just read out the first one. Um, it's, it's how are FAA dealing with airworthiness inspections required for SFPs, uh, C of A, during COVID-19? Does the DAR still need to be on the ground for physical inspection, or is the FAA considering offering any possible dispensations here to facilitate aircraft movement to storage locations. Were you able to uh, catch that question, Mike, or have you any thoughts on it? Yes, I, I, did, I did address it in the slideshow, and I'll readdress it. We, on the memorandum of understanding, we can do the annual inspection type aircraft uh, uh, without going to see the aircraft. And I've been successfully working case by case basis for large aircraft to uh, to get it uh, issued from the FAA so that they can move large aircraft. 
there it's not a blanket on the large aircraft, but it, it is it is still the, the same amount of work. It's just that we we have processed some from from desktop. Um, what is the process of working on an unregistered aircraft and mainly only ANOC or any other local approval? That is a no. There is no process. It can uh, it ha it has to be a, a Port 145 or or, or AMPs that to sign that aircraft. It cannot be uh, it, it cannot be by a third uh, by a non non-affiliated FAA, uh, non-affiliated U.S. Uh, and, uh, surveilled uh, system. Uh, ANOC is, is a, 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 they're very good and all that, but it's, you can't, they don't, they don't want to share responsibility. The, res the responsibility is still on, on the FAA to, to uh, ensure that the aircraft is moved under their rules. Okay, good. Thanks for that. I see a question in there from Ola Driscoll, um, from Brian, I take it. Uh, can you see that, Brian? Uh, I'll read it out yeah, for the rest I, of the participants. There are significant implications in the event of a no-deal Brexit, and should this situation arise, then the UK will, um, in effect, become what the EU and the asset term a third country, and current approvals granted within the UK would therefore no longer be valid for EU aircraft. Do you agree that this will be the case? Oh, you, okay, I, I, can, I, can, I can take that question, Alan, yeah. Um, th that would be the case, um, but there's been a lot of work um, uh, uh, been done on that. Uh, first of all, uh, the Euro Commission, European Commission issued um, some regulations which um, were designed to start at the point that Brexit actually occurred uh, and provide us, if you like, some, some extensions for... Uh, UK-approved uh, companies under the EASA system. But uh, because the whole thing has dragged out a bit, um, I'm hoping that um, the other strand that they were working on, which was to convert um, uh, the existing UK-issued EASA approvals into direct EASA approvals, which would be valid in the third country. So, in other words, what they're saying is that, yes, um, after Brexit, uh, UK becomes a third country, but the MROs and the CAMOs Etc. and the Park 21s would then become direct approvals from EASA. So they would be directly approved by EASA in the same way as they could be approved in South America for the sake of argument. All right, good. So it's not quite cut and, cut and dried, but, but, but there will be difficulties without a doubt. Thanks for that. Um, one from Brendan Hoare there, back to uh, Mike. Um, what's the FAA's policy on issuing remote export CFA to the CAAC on the the current COVID-19 travel restrictions. Anything with China? Uh, there, that has not changed. It's the, the, the policy is still the, the original policy. Unfortunately, we're, we're all on that travel restriction. It's, it's, it's the biggest boondangle I've been running. I feel like I'm operating with two hands tied behind my back and, and my legs in cement. Uh, you know, um, yeah, maybe that's that's a good uh, um, uh, intro for Rick um, out in Bali. Did you want to mention something about the travel restrictions, Rick? Do you want to unmute there? No, you need, yeah, you, you're still muted. I think you need to unmute. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm unmuted now. Uh, I follow yeah. the travel restrictions in Asia very closely because it directly affects uh, 
when I can, <clears throat> when I can start work again. Uh, at the present time, uh, I, I live in Indonesia. Uh, I virtually cannot leave Indonesia. Uh, their, their requirements uh, for health certificates are seven days prior, and typically it takes them 10 days to process a, a test. So uh, I'm, I'm locked up. Uh, my friends in the rest of Asia are experiencing the same thing. Uh, we don't see a real opening much before September. Okay. All right. Um, thanks. Thanks for that. I think uh, um, it's useful to know. I, I spotted a, a useful ICAO um, uh, app this morning about uh, reports for all airports in the world about restrictions on travel and and or, or rules. So I, I might post that uh, to you guys on the website or the platform after this call. So just uh, we're conscious we're at 12.42. Uh, Alex is there. He's going to give a short update on APTN and hopefully we'll get you out of here in two or three minutes. So are you okay to go, Alex, on that? Yeah, sure. I'll share that screen now. Okay. Thanks, Ken. Very much, guys, for those two presentations. They were, um, they were brilliant. So I'm just going to uh, give a quick overview and update on the current uh, situation with APTN. Um, if you've been on the last few calls, you might recognize some of the data that I'm showing. And uh, if not, welcome to the Zoom calls. So this is just a spread of all our targets, uh, our contacts that we have all over the world that we deem um, potential targets for the APTN network. Um, as you can see, there's 5,100 contacts uh, from all over the world, almost every single country. And um, like we've mentioned before, our target is to get uh, an APTN member um, from every single country, just so that we have uh, such a fantastic spread and there's a worldwide network. So here is our APTN hub. Uh, on the bottom right, as you can see, and the APTN corporate uh, network page, uh, both on LinkedIn. Um, if, you haven't f if you don't follow them already, we'd uh, recommend you to um, do that. Um, so these pages are um, used to provide you with updates on all the news for APTN, such as these Zoom calls, um, but also the YouTube videos that follow, um, that kind of uh, have these Zoom calls in a webinar um, structure, and also the podcasts that are on Spotify every week. Alan also uh, writes articles every week, kind of summarizing and analyzing um, every Zoom call and all the speakers and what they're saying. And uh, the hub and the LinkedIn page are just used to spread awareness of the APTN network and how this can really help um, aircraft technical people worldwide. So this is the current spread that we have of all the expertise uh, within the APTN network. So for us, it's really important to have uh, members across every single expertise, just so when a member is looking for someone or uh, you want to advertise yourself uh, for work, that we have everything available um, from all, and expertise from everywhere in the world so that there's a huge connection, a really big reach for all members. So you may have seen this uh, pie chart before. This is just kind of a display of the um, three membership groups that we have. So as you can see on the left, um, we currently have um, 
1,159 hub members, but we still only have 288 platform members, which is growing uh, really fast, which is great. But we're trying to uh, recommend that everyone joins um, the platform. Uh, ATP members are now free for 2020, which gives you uh, great access to all the features um, such as the Zoom call um, on the APTN network. So our goal is to get 1,000 APTN members by the end of 2020. Um, our kind of weekly day-by-day -day goals are really showing that this is going to be possible as the platform is growing and more and more every day. Um, so as we always echo before, um, we, have a lot, we still have a lot of basic members for people who signed up at the start. And we recommend that they shift over to ATP members simply because it's free for 2020, but they're also not getting all the uh, features that the APTN network provides. Good, that's great. So this is the WhatsApp regional groups that um, we've created. Um, if you have any questions about the WhatsApp groups or you wish to join them, um, feel free to email me. I'll have my contact details uh, at the end uh, in the next slide. But these, what these groups really help is that any quick little information or um, form of networking that anyone wants within your region, um, you could just pop a message into the WhatsApp group and it's usually answered within 30 minutes. So it's kind of a really handy way of ease of access for um, relationships from a regional basis. So when you sign up to ATP and you ask to be uh, um, added to the WhatsApp regional group, you'll be added into the group from your region that you signed up with. So finally, uh, this is all my uh, contact details. If you have any questions about the Zoom calls, about the APTN network in general, or about the platform sign up. So my email and WhatsApp are there. Uh, we also have Instagram and Twitter, which will be giving um, similar updates that the LinkedIn profile has um, just to keep everyone updated on a day-to-day -day basis. That's great. Thanks, Alex, for that. Um, just to conclude then, uh, thanks uh, to Mike uh, for arising early in Pennsylvania. I know he's uh, kind of locked down there at the moment. He's itching to get out of there at 7 o'clock uh, over there this morning. He came on board. Thanks to Brian again for his, his participation and to Alex. Um, uh, all of the presentations there, as Alex mentioned, will be on the follow-up email in terms of um, PDFs of, of, of the slides that you've seen and the contact details if you need them will be there. Uh, next week, um, we're going to uh, revisit a topic that we did back in um, December, I think it was end of November, December down in Shannon when we were uh, able to actually meet uh, physically together. Uh, so we were doing... Um, APTN workshops at the time and we had about 20 or 30 people together in Shannon for a discussion on aircraft digital records and we covered such topics as non-incident statements and spec 2500 and even uh, talked a little bit um, uh, um, you know all aspects of aircraft technical records so yeah next week um, I hope to have a couple of those speakers back again and uh, take up the topic and see what's happened since so thanks again, everybody, for coming on board today. And uh, we'll see you again next week for what should be another interesting discussion. All right? All right. That's it for today.